But I, I do have to say, we are just so excited about the great things that God is doing among us. Um, last Palm Sunday, it was really fun. I mean, I see the youth up here. I saw we had our preschoolers up here this last Palm Sunday, and it was really fun. They were jumping around to a song. Remember that? And one of them was actually doing this air guitar thing. And I thought for sure he's just going to, you know, just hit someone in the chops next to him, and we'd have our first major lawsuit. But that didn't happen, so grateful for that. And then afterwards, um, God held off the rain. And we went out as a body, and we did a, 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 a groundbreaking dedication service commitment of that space right outside here for a multi-use, which we're excited about in the many ways it'll be used, and especially in our community and around areas with our youth. So we're just thrilled about that and so grateful for that. And I see a rolling egg. You can get that if you want, because that'll distract me. No, I just can't. <laughs> You know, this is a great time because we have kids in the service, and I just, I'm, I'm grateful for kids. And, you know, I'm going to talk for a little bit here, kids, so um, be really good. Uh, the first service, it was kind of fun. Those kids, parents were kind of moving in and out and bringing kids out and in. But you don't feel bad about that. You've got permission um, to do what you need to do. I just want to share with you, as we begin this message, we've been in Hebrews, we're talking about the better life. And on spring break, I read a book. It was a book called Sapiens. Anybody heard of that book? Wow. Okay. Uh, it was 400 pages, dense 400 pages. I mean, heavy book. And, and the author, Yaval Noah Harari, seeks to give, and here's the subtitle, A Brief History of Humankind. And as one book review states, it's a swashbuckling account that begins with the origin of the species and ends with post-humans. Harari, who is one of the new breed of what are called social evolutionists, Contends for the first half of our existence, we were slowly, we, we, we slowly shuffle along unremarkably. And then we pick up steam through a series of revolutions. Now, think about it if you can maybe kind of track some of these revolutions, and those of you who are history buffs might be aware of this. 70,000 years ago, he contends, uh, there was a cognitive revolution that began to kind of move things forward. And then 11,000 years ago, we entered what is called the agricultural revolution, moving from foraging hunters and gatherers to farmers. And then 500 years ago, so you can see the progress is beginning to move more rapidly, we stumbled upon a scientific revolution. And soon after that, just 250 years ago, there was what was called an industrial revolution. Are you with me, Right? And that continued to move very quickly, and just in a mere 50 years, that triggered what was called, anybody know what this would be called? The fashion revolution in the 70s. There was um, this fashion revolution of bell-bottoms and Nehru shirts and leisure suits. No, that wasn't it. Okay. Just want to see if you're with me. Um, It triggered an information revolution. Anybody heard of the information age? A few hands. Come on. You got to be with me, I hope. You know, you guys, in fact, if I turn around as I'm speaking and I see you on a phone, I'm going to trust that you're looking at Hebrews 11 and following with me, okay? (laughs) You probably didn't come here thinking about this, but he says there's this information revolution and we are experiencing now, and it's actually happening much more quickly, what he calls a biotechnological revolution, which will end Homo sapiens, the name sapiens, Homo specific species, as we know it, and begin a new bioengineered post-humans, a kind of amortal cyborg capable of living forever. And here's the key word, amortal, not immortal. Amortal meaning that it's, it's something that you could die by violence or by some kind of crisis. 
Now you're wondering, why am I telling you this? Because it's very interesting. Social evolutionists, and some of you who are in this college age or maybe not too long out of it or stay in touch with it, one of the latest and most chic kind of academic uh, studies and approaches in our universities today are trying to combine the hard sciences, things like biology, chemistry, and mathematics with the soft sciences, the softies like um, psychology, sociology, and anthropology, and etc., to promote something that I find quite remarkable. Something I think we all know. Kind of in one sense, here's one of the theses of his, uh, the main part of his book. He says, undergirding all this human development and progress, whether you believe in a God who created the world or not, is the basic structure of human life and relationships is based on what? Trust. Faith underlies all progress. Trust is an indispensable foundation to why we're at where we're at today. In fact, in this third section, Harari's book is titled The Unification of Mankind, and he, he, he kind of outlines the rise of religion, the evolution of money, and specifically credit, because credit really needs trust. And then along with that, the spread of empires and trade and capitalism, and they're all as a result of the bedrock of mutual trust. In essence, money and credit, nations and political structures, imagined beliefs in God, he says, and morality are built on Trust. Let me put it another way for you, because you might get this if you look at the negative side of it. As soon as fear and anxiety and, and, and panic spread, Wall Street crashes, politics polarize. Anybody experience some, some of that? And faiths falter and fall. Now, you probably don't need a PhD for me to, you know, kinda, to know that, right? You, you can just observe that and see that. Because trust is the bedrock of life. Nothing holds together without it. Marriages, families, athletic teams, business ventures. Trust is like a glue. You need faith in one another. Because it holds together world markets and economies and even military alliances. Right? This is not too different than what we see and are experiencing right now in our world today. But you know what? 2,000 years ago, there was an author another author, who had a deep belief in God. And he said these words in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it from the message for you because I think the paraphrase kind of aligns so closely to what's being said here. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, so he trusts in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. That's basically that guy's thesis, but no God. And the author of Hebrews has taken 10 long chapters, that's what we've been looking at during this time of Lent, to prove to a group of people, these are Hebrew and of Jewish descent, hence the title of the book, Hebrews. He, 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 He takes all that to prove that trust in Jesus leads to a better life. And that's why he writes, faith in Jesus is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. So this morning, what I want to do is take these moments and just talk about faith. Because that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. And there's just one simple point. A better faith results in a better life. And I want to make this really clear. This is not some naive promise that I'm kind of throwing out here. It's not um, devoid of suffering. 
It's not some new reach for the American dream, nor is it this idea that if you can believe it, then you can achieve it. This kind of faith takes in something far greater than that. It actually takes in Good Friday. It takes in suffering. It allows for suffering to have meaning and purpose in light of this trust with God. It allows for people to understand that I can actually delay gratification and I can actually suffer on someone else's behalf all for the joy set before me because I believe, I believe in a God who holds my life and holds it forever. And there's another thing I want you to realize. This is really important because guess what? Everyone has faith. The key question is this, and I say this to some of you who are younger. Everyone has faith. The key question is this, what is your faith in? Which begs the question, is there a better faith that truly leads to a better life? Not devoid of suffering, but one that actually allows for you to do things you would never imagine possible because of God. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to read together these first. We're going to read Hebrews 11 and not the whole chapter. But we're going to read the first three verses. And I'm going to ask you to read this with me. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Let's pray. Father, I invite your Holy Spirit to come, take the words from your scripture, apply them into our hearts, give us, I pray, your faith. Help even our unbelief. Help us to move more closely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So to get this thing started, the first thing that we need to do is we're going to talk about faith, is that faith... Here's the starting point. Faith begins with God. There's a real sense that get this thing right vertically, the vertical relationship gets everything else moving in the right direction. That's what the Bible and the ancients were so much commended for. You have to understand, God is a spirit being. He is a personal, rational, and a relational being. He's not some mere cosmic force. He's not some unifying energy. God knows this, that relationship is based on trust. He didn't need Harari to say it. He didn't even need the writer of Hebrews to write it. He knows that he created you and me with the capacity to trust. And he knows that trust is best when it's grounded in and its foundation is in him. And so as you read through the scripture, you'll find that because trust is so important to this relational spirit being who created us and all things, he chose to reveal himself through someone who could help us develop trust. That seemed to make sense. And so in Hebrews, if you just start in the very first chapter, in the very first few verses, You'll see he starts out with this, because Hebrews is all about the things that are to come are shadows, they're signs, they point to a greater reality. So he begins and he says this, he says to them, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And this is a really important phrase. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God's desire is that we know him personally and intimately 
And Jesus is the revelation of the very nature. It, 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 that's that idea. It's a pattern. It's, you see the very heart of God, the essence of who he is in Jesus. And so he says, put your ultimate faith in Jesus. Now, the temptation is to kind of sometimes to take the word of God. If you speak with some people, depending where they're at in their own faith, they'll kind of say, well, Jesus was, yeah, he's an incredible guy, and maybe he did some things that were, you know, looked appear to be supernatural, but, and he was this really good teacher. Obviously, he taught about love, and his love changed people's lives, and they had this movement that's carried on. But here's the thing that you have to understand when you talk about Jesus. It is the revelation of God himself in flesh here. That's what Hebrews 1 is saying. And, and what you need to understand along with that is that Jesus does more than just teach good things. He invites you to put your trust in him as if he was God himself. By saying things like, I am the light. I'm the bread. If you want to be full, if you're searching and, you, and you've got that gnawing ache for something more, I'm the bread. I'm the door. If you're kind of looking for answers, you're saying, God, help me in this. I have some decisions. I have some things going on in my marriage or with my family. I have kids. I'm busy. God says, he says, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Boy, if you want someone who's going to care for you and comfort and be involved. And then he goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is more than good teaching. This is God revealing himself to you because the name of Jesus is powerful and the name of Jesus can put you in a relationship where trust, faith can begin to develop and it all starts with God. So there is Jesus. It's just a week prior to his death which he knows he'll be facing as he's walking towards it and he gets news. There's a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus is dying and he says, yeah, that's fine. Let him sleep and they misinterpret it and he says the reason to let him sleep is because he wants him to die. He's four days in the tomb and finally he gets there and Mary and Martha, if you could have just come, if you could have just come and Jesus looks at him and he says this, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he looks at Mary, he looks at Martha, he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, do you believe this? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever acknowledged your need of him? Maybe you're in that place in your life right now. Maybe you just kind of happened to come. This was a good Easter morning. You decide, well, let's go try this. Why is that a free place? Maybe there's a part of your life that you've been holding off. And he's saying, you know, you've never put your trust in Jesus with that. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's what you're trying to do with your job situation. Whatever. You know, it's really interesting. What Jesus is asking you to do is no different than what God lays out in the Ten Commandments. In the first commandment, do you know what the first commandment says? You shall put no other God before me. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of an arrogant thing to say, almost kind of arrogant like Jesus said, I'm the door, I'm the way, and the bread, I'm the resurrection, I'm all these kind of things. In one sense, you look at that and you're saying, God's saying, you just got to wonder, is God some kind of an egomaniac who has this pathologic, jealous bone in his body, Right? Or could it be that he's not looking at you with rage in his face like some stern being going, put me first. But he's looking at you with deep compassion. Take this in for a second. He's looking at you with really deep compassion. And he's saying, when push comes to shove, when the crisis comes, if your faith is in your money, if your faith is somehow in some relationship, 
If your faith is in some way in your own abilities, what happens when you don't have an ability and you have disabilities or that relationship breaks apart or divides or you get sick and that money can't... What happens? He's not looking at you with rage. He's looking with deep, deep love in his heart and Jesus says to you, would you trust me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you can celebrate today the reality of that truth that in the resurrection you know this life is indestructible. And we're told in Hebrews he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven interceding for you right now. Asking you maybe for the first time in your life to put your trust and faith in Jesus. Asking you to take that area of your life, which you've been holding off trying to do on your own, saying, you know what, maybe it's time to bring some other people that love you and care about you, that know this faith, and and say, I'm going to step into this and give this to you, Jesus. There's a second thing about faith that comes out in this, which is interesting. It's not only the starting point begins with God as we read Hebrews, but if you look at verses 1 and 2, you see that faith sees what others don't see, and even more than that, it's not just that they don't see it, even refuse to see. That's a choice of your will. A decision to say, I I see this, but I don't really want to see it. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And it was for this the ancients were commended. This chapter lists man after man and woman after woman of, of people of faith throughout this whole letter of Hebrews. And for some of you who haven't been with us for the last number of weeks, one of the things we've found as we've gone through this book is is he's saying again and again, the things that happened in the Old Testament, they were just shadows of a substance. It was like Jesus was here and the sun was shining and what you were seeing in the Old Testament were signs that were pointing to this Jesus to come. And he makes this argument again and again and again. In fact, the Old Testament is merely one big sign that points to Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you this on my own. If you read the stories of the resurrection accounts, there's one where they're walking on the way to Emmaus, these two guys, and Jesus comes, starts walking along with them. They don't recognize who he is, and he, and he says, what are you guys so sad about? What are you so down about? And he goes, yeah, are you the only one? Are you the only one who hasn't heard? And Jesus goes, well, tell me about it. And they tell him about, you know, this guy who's been crucified and how bummed they are out because they were, had all their hopes resting in him. And then Jesus, here's what he says. He says, oh, you guys, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. At the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained then to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then just turn the page just a little bit more and you go in Luke and you see he, he comes to the 11 disciples. And he says, this is what I told you guys while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. The ancients were commended for their faith because they saw the sign and they said, even though I don't see the reality, I believe it in this God who loves me. I believe that this God has grace, that he will forgive me, that he will provide for me. He will do what needs to be done. He will take care of my own life and my own sin and he will pay for it and he will give himself in such a way that I can live with him, not just for a while on this life, but forever. And so Hebrews 11.3 says, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Here's one of the things that they didn't quite see, but they saw signs so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. They saw creation. They looked at all the beauty and the goodness around them, and they just said, you know what, someone had to create this. 
You know, all the good things that you experience, all the things you see around you, this beautiful day, they either point to a real God or they point to maybe it just happened. I love this, um, this comic by Bizarro. Standing before God is a guy who just couldn't see it and, and here's, you know, look past the dog. But the joyful, loving, eternally forgiving nature of dogs never tipped you off. I have, a, I have a, um, a golden retriever, and I can tell you, that dog just loves me to death. And I just go, man, God, if you just love me an ounce like that? And he says, I do. And a whole lot more. There are signs in your life that are pointing to the reality that Jesus wants to be involved in your life, and he loves you. And he wants to be a part of your very life right now. There's this really interesting point when Jesus is becoming discouraged because he's given signs. He's poured out his heart and compassion. He's, he's done miracles that should just awe them and, and overwhelm them. He's lived a perfectly pure and sinless life. And he expects them to see the reality of the essence of God and who he is. And he gets discouraged. Even after his resurrection, Thomas, who I consider to be the Eeyore of disciples, right? He's anything but an early adopter. He's actually been told a number of times now by people he should trust in, people who have begun to see and, and, and tell them Jesus around. And he says to them, not unless I can put my finger in his nail mark, In my hand where that spear was in his flesh, will I believe. And it's so cool because there is Jesus standing before him according to John 20, 24, 31. And he says, he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Jesus says this, because you have seen me, Thomas. You've believed. But there's a whole lot of people right here. He says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples. And I just want to share with you that Jesus has performed signs before you. And it may be that maybe it's stepping into a relationship with Jesus and you've never done that, or maybe that you have hold things back, or maybe Jesus is saying, you know what, I, I would trust you to, 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 I would ask you to trust that I'm going to take care of your situation right now. Here's what's really neat about this. Because the next thing we find out about faith is that faith, those who are commended for it, faith pleases God. It actually brings a smile to his face. You know that? That when you step into that, it just causes God to break out in a smile. Like, oh, I just love that one. That's what he says in, in, in chapter 11, verse 3 through 5. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased or made God smile because of his faith. Not that he was perfect, but the way his life leaned was into the direction of trusting this God who he didn't even see, but he gave his life to. It says, and if you look at the next verse, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists. And here's the catch and also that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not only do you believe that he exists, but you also believe that he actually rewards those who earnestly make it their life ambition to know him and to daily walk with him. 
Instead of saying, God, I don't know if you live this way. I've lived this way so much of my life. At times I just go, God, bless me. Come into my story. Here's what I plan is. Would you just kind of come along? And I would love it if you just kind of say, yeah, I'll help you there. And what I think he's saying here is the person who really believes that he exists is the kind of person who actually seeks after God and says, God, what's your story? How do, I, how do I write myself into your story? How do I begin to, to step into the things that you're calling me to do? You ever done that? That brings a huge smile to God's face. He loves hearts. He loves to reward those kind of hearts. He loves to come beside those kind of hearts. Now, as a, as a, a parent, some of you will know this, or maybe you've done this with kids, and my, my family is here in the first service, and I, you know, I shared that when I was a young parent just a few years ago, as my kids were sitting here. Anyway, uh, I remember when they were about two years of age, and I would have them on the side of a pool, and they'd you know, be on the side of the pool, never jumped in the pool, but you know, have you done that before? You kind of you coax them, come on, this will be fun, right? Come on, they encourage them to do all these things. And finally, after all kinds of coaxing, they get up enough courage, and they step out in faith, and they jump. Now, now parents and others, the key here is to catch them, okay? That builds faith. They jump into your hands, and, and, and they're smiling, and, and you're smiling because why? I'm smiling because I realize that every time that my child learns to step through their fear and, and to, to move into those places, as, as a dad, I just go, wow, I'm so excited. This is the kind of life that I want for my child. I want my child to begin to move into the things that, that bring enrichment to their life. And don't you think God is in the same way? And he stands there and he says, you know, if you've never trusted me, I, I encourage you just to put your, put your, put your, put your life into my hands. You've been holding off on this thing. Or maybe God is even saying to you, you know, it's been a hard time and you're going through some difficulties, but I just, I would ask you to put, just step out in faith again and just believe, trust that I love you. I'm not going to punish you. I did that on the cross through Jesus. And then faith, another thing it tells us, has many followers. You're not in this alone. Hebrews 11 is called the hall of fame of faith. And it's called that for a specific reason. Because he, he lists after Abel and Enoch, he lists Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, the prostitute. And then finally in verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say? I, I don't have time to go on. He lists Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets because faith in God has many followers. And you need to know that one of the signs probably in your life is that there have been people at some point in your life, whether it's a grandparent, maybe it was a parent. Think back for a second. Who have been those people that have kind of prodded you on? They're the examples in your life. And the reason that you are even thinking about it or you are actually um, where you're at in your own faith is because of what? You've had people who are in your own hall of fame, of faith. And it's no mistake. It's no accident that God placed them in, their life, in your life like that. So not only do they have many followers, but one other thing we read as we come to the very end of this, that faith looks beyond this world. That's what faith is all about. It looks at this world and says there must be something more. Verse 39 and 40 ends the chapter. There we, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. 
There are all kinds of rewards in, the life, in, 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 the, in, in your life, your current life, and there are all kinds of blessings. And I just encourage you, don't miss them. God doesn't want you to be hampered with the guilt and shame of your past. That's why he brought Jesus to die on the cross. He wants to set you free. And the resurrection, you know what the resurrection does? It puts you in a place where you don't have to fear your future. You don't have to fear your future. You can fail. You can move forward. You can stumble. And as you move into that and you move through the fear and you fall into the hands of your God who loves you, he will help you become who you're called to be as you live in the present moment with your God, with Jesus. Faith looks beyond this world. It sees that there's more than just this world. I have to just share with you as a person who is at this point in life where, you know how you start out and you're, you're kind of going through your, your teenage years and then you graduate from high school and then you see the next occasion, you graduate from college, you find the person you're going to marry, you get married, you find your career, you have kids, your kids graduate from high school and then they, you know what I mean, how that goes and they find their, and now you're getting to this point in your life like I am and I'm in another phase where there are people around me who are graduating into a whole nother life. And I just have to share with you, with my parents both dying this past year, last Easter, just before the message, my mother passed away. And about six months after that, my father passed away. And some people you know, you've had people you've lost. Praise God. Faith says when you put your life and your trust in him, you live with him forever. There is more than this life. It shapes the way you live this life. You can go through and move through and not get what you think was promised and know there's still more. You can actually suffer for someone else like Jesus who endured the cross for what? Those he loved because he knew there was more. And I just want to share the last thing. When you look at all of Hebrews 11, what's really cool about Hebrews 11 is that faith inspires the faith of others. And, and I encourage you to think about the fact that it's your turn, maybe, to be an example of faith. Have you thought about that? Where you work, there's going to be someone someday sitting in a message like this, and when I, that person says something, they're going to go, I remember Tom, I remember Sue, I remember Ashley, I remember Jake. The influence I had in my life, I remember my grandpa and you as you move into those grandparent years, you have a great opportunity to display a love for Jesus in your life that influences someone who is very young. You have a teacher, a coach, I don't care. There's places where God is saying, are you willing to inspire someone else with your faith? And here's what's really cool about this. Faith, I love this about faith. Anyone can do it. You know what? We're hardwired by God for faith. We will put our faith in something. The key to it is what are you going to put your faith in? And if you put your faith in Jesus, you can be this incredible person that actually inspires others with your life and your actions. You don't even have to be trying to. You don't need huge amounts of faith, says Jesus. In fact, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you just need a little bit, it actually can take and demolish mountains of fear. He says it will actually uproot trees of selfishness. That's how strong this faith is. You don't need to do it perfectly. In fact, when you read through the heroes of the faith, here's Abraham stumbling along. Here's Sarah trying to make things happen on her own. Here's Moses who who doesn't get it right the first time, the second, many other times. 
You don't have to do it perfectly. Faith is merely about falling forward into Jesus. And your life can be a mess. That's why when I was reading this, isn't it interesting? In the hall of fame of faith is Rahab the prostitute. In the hall of fame of faith is Jacob, who is this scheming, manipulative liar. And yet he falls forward into Jesus. You can even be a child, and that's what Jesus loved. He loved childlike faith because it's so pure and simple and sees so much more clearly when to express faith. Watch this video. It'll kind of give you a picture of that. Finally tonight, how can you mend a broken heart? Tough question. At least we know where it can happen. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. Not long ago, in a cemetery outside Augusta, Georgia, a loving couple was buried. The wife buried below this white bouquet. The husband buried above in a mound of grief. Took me totally by surprise. 82-year-old Dan Peterson says after Mary died, he fell into a deep depression. Spent days just staring out at the squirrels. What were you living for? I was trying to figure that out, frankly. You had no purpose? No. Were you just waiting to die? Yeah. For six months, it was just that bad. And then one day you go to a grocery store. (laughs) It all changed inside this Publix. Dan was nearing the end of the canned vegetable aisle. He hates grocery shopping, and by all accounts, the expression on his face confirmed his aggravation. But that's when this unapproachable man was approached by a four-year-old girl named Nora Wood. In the security footage, you can see Nora randomly reaching out to him. Her mom, Tara, says it was quite embarrassing. She said, hi, old person, it's my birthday today. Old person? Old person. Hi, old person. She says this to this cranky old man? Yeah. And then had the audacity to demand a hug. I said, a hug? I said, absolutely. (laughs) Nora got her hug and then asked her mom to take a picture of her with her new friend. She zeroed in on him like a missile. And she didn't want anything from him. She just wanted to make him feel loved and give him a hug. And his little lip quivered and he was teared up and it was just sweet. And I said, you don't know. This is the first time for quite a while that I've been as happy. That all happened a couple months ago. And his grin has only gotten wider since. Hi, sweetheart. Come in. Come in. Today, Nora visits at least once a week. So how's my sweetie, huh? And every time, it's the grocery store all over again. I knew I was going to get a hook. (laughs) Oh, it's unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. It's a bridge. It's a bridge. Oh, okay. Dan does have grandkids of his own, but they're all grown and gone. And Nora does have grandparents. But her mom says this is a completely different kind of bond that almost defies explanation. She fell asleep holding a picture of them. What? (laughs) To Dan, it's equally miraculous, but far less mysterious. He believes Nora is, quite literally, an angel. She opened me to a love that I didn't know existed. When your wife died... You felt like you didn't have any purpose anymore. 
Do you feel like you have a purpose now? Of course. No. Watching her grow up. I know I made room in my heart for a lot more. Steve Hartman, On the Road. In a- so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And uh, we're going to sing this song in just a moment, but I'm going to ask you to prayerfully... If you want to just listen or prayerfully do something in your heart with God, maybe it's you've never asked Jesus to come in, and he's here. He, he, he believes in you. He has a hug for you and says, I see your sin, I see your need, and I want you to experience my love, and I want to break all the chains in your life. It may be that God is telling you, you know what, it's time to grow up and to say, God, give me this childlike faith because I want to do hugs of love. I want to see people's hearts open up to meaning and purpose in ways that only your faith inspires. I, I, I prayed this prayer, and I'll just pray that. I, I wrote this yesterday, and I wrote, I want merely faith, not merely faith in you. I want your faith in me. There is a universal difference between having faith in Jesus and having the faith in of Jesus. Father, we bow before you and we say, may we know the power of Jesus. May Jesus break every chain so that the power of Jesus is released through us. Amen.